Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording from our Rembaum Institute series, The Poetry of Prayer, with Rabbi Joel Rembaum. So we are now at the uh, Ha'er Enenu. Remember the what we saw the fr- last time was again one of these listings of eight different uh, uh in that instance lahabinu lahaskil lishmoa lilmodu lalamed lishmorvala sodil kayem all these different expressions of how we do torah and i suggested that that's doing torah but again it's the style of repetitiousness that typifies uh, a lot of these prayers Again, I remind you that seems to have been borrowed from the earliest forms of a uh, of a mystical movement in Judaism in the Talmudic period. That style. And remember, somebody tell me why do we think this style was used? What was the purpose of all the repetitions? To remember, because they didn't have prayer books. No, but they're different words. It it's actually could be, don't you think, confusing to have to learn all those different terms? I mean, you can do it. Yeah, I've done it. But, you know, it takes, I have books. I I, I, <laughs> I could read the, the Siddur and check myself. They couldn't because they didn't have any. Right. I mean, some of them, these things, if they're alphabetic acrostics or there are other mnemonic devices built in, yes, then that helps them to remember. But they're also trying to describe the indescribable. That's the point. Thank you. That's what I was hoping to hear. They're trying to describe God who is ultimately undescribable. And so they figure that by piling on all these terms, when talking about God in one way or another, the person who listens to it, hears it, or reads it, will come to the realization that we're now talking about a being who transcends our normal scope of existence. Because we don't not- normally talk that way. Okay? And that being, of course, is God. So, and it could be God's qualities, what God, you know, is doing, defining activity, all kinds of things. So here it's a listing of the things that we want God to help us do, all right, with respect to Torah, which is why I'm saying it's not learning only, it's all kinds of things. So I say it's doing Torah in its fullest. And to do so, in so doing, God is showing that as a sign of his love for us. Okay? I think another I think another factor is that a lot of, there's a lot of words in Hebrew, and, and actually in English, although I think to a lesser degree, extent which are the same or similar have the similar meaning i mean right. and sometimes one person might know one word and what another one might know another word so by 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 repetitious using different words you make sure that everybody gets what you want an interesting to thought yes it could be in other words you want to cover sort of cover all your bases so right correct Possible. I think that's a very interesting point. Yeah. I love, there's also the metaphor of a photograph. If you want to take an object, and I'm not saying God is an object. You want to take an object. Okay. You can take a photograph, but it's only that one direction. And then if you go to the, it's like a take a photograph of yourself, the front. 
Then you take one of the side. Then you take one of the top. And you take one of the bottom. You can take thousands or millions. And no matter how many photographs you take, it still doesn't totally capture it. Right, exactly. So I think this is part of looking at it from different angles. Yes, right. Very good. Oh, we're thinking tonight. This is good. Okay. So now we're going on. Now we're going to ask God to... Uh, enlighten our eyes with your Torah. Let, let mm. our eyes light up with your Torah. And, and cause our hearts to cling to your commandments. Keep that in mind. And, and unify our hearts. Okay. To love and to fear your name. Now, this notion of unifying our hearts, does it mean that we all come together in these things? Or each one of us as individuals <laughs> shall be touched in these special ways by God? You can go either way. In the English, what is it? Does the Hebrew? Hmm? The Hebrew can go either way? I know the English does. Yes, yes. The Hebrew does. Yeah, yeah, the Hebrew does too, Yes. Um, but you know the point is it, it could. Um, now here's a question. Remember, in the, yesterday, last time we mentioned the fact that God is presented primarily as a father, right? Avinu, we talked about Avinu Malkenu, right? And we talked about how God is presented as a passionate father, okay? Um, and okay, so what we're saying this is a continuation of that. That God, remember, a parent, a parent love is committed to the child and will do everything in the parent's power to make sure that the child learns and grows into a decent human being. Okay. So God then as father, as parent, rather not only as king, because king just says, do it. And then you're responsible. But the father wants to help the child do it as well. So that's what we're saying. But there's another side to this that, that it's, it just doesn't touch. And it, it, it hit me as I was reviewing it for tonight. Where, where is our responsibility in this whole process? I mean, aren't we responsible for developing our commitment to Torah and to God? And to learning it and doing it. I mean, ultimately, the tradition assumes that we will be held responsible. And, you know, God can't spoon feed us everything. So it, it just struck me that and I think, well, what do you think about my question? I think it's a very important one. I don't think there's any way that, that we can get anywhere in our life without full understanding on our part and full being willing to do on our part. Okay. All right, Tybal. Um, isn't the collective all fates, the collective responsibility that we say in community defined, at least a minion all in prayer, where we all know that maybe we, we, that most of us have never done some of the things we're taking responsibility for saying we missed the mark. Isn't that a huge step toward responsibility? 
Well, I think it, I think there's a, there's a truth in what you're saying. Um, but at the same time, yes. And one could argue that the community has responsibility to making sure that the members of the community understand what the Torah is about and, you know, what the role of the individual should be in that whole process. Yes. And that's, that's a good point. But I think, you know, it, but I think what's going on here is, um, I, I, I think that the sort of, again, the exaggeration for effect here, right? The notion that, that this, that this powerful force can actually, we were saying, will respond to our plea from this source as our heavenly parent to act like a parent and to assist us in this, in this process. I have to assume that that's what, what this is about. And again, think in terms of the, um, the, the overemphasis on, 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 um, with using multiple terms and, and of repeating the same idea over and over again. Okay. I think that's the way you have to understand it. But you know, it, I'm saying this because Again, if you read the, if you read the prayer, Hebrew or English, and spend some time thinking about it, you know, as, as we've seen Bert do, for example, and just spend time thinking about it, and it could be in shul. Uh, I'm telling you, as pulpit rabbi, okay, I have, and some of you have heard me many times said to people, if you can't keep up with the service because you want to read and, and figure out what the text is saying, that's okay. Just stand up when the ark is opened, you know. <laughs> when we have to stand up, stand up. But you know, if if you get if you get wrapped up, and now with all the commentaries on the page that we have in these books, if you get wrapped up in it and don't and, and really want to think about it, and and the, the you know the the flow of the service moves ahead because obviously we can't wait for everybody to finish getting unwrapped, <laughs> so to speak. Right. Look, we're, we're going to spend an hour tonight on a prayer that takes what thirty or forty-five seconds in shul. That's right. <laughs> and, and 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 you know we're just going to, with no insight, we'll probably just scratch the surface in terms of the depth that's exactly. there. I think you made the point in an earlier class. I mean, this begins. It's about love, and that the Jewish idea is that the Torah was given in love, yes, not in hate, yes. And not in meanness. Yes. And that the purpose is, wouldn't it be horrible if we didn't know what the law was and we didn't know what to do? Right. And we're just going around in the dark and had to face the consequences. And I think part of what Torah is telling us is here's a way. It it may not be the only way because we accept that other people's other religions have their own ways. But here is our way. Right. And it's ours. There, there's a line from uh, Pirkei Avot, uh, from Shammai, Asei Torat Keva. Yeah, Asei Torat Keva, right. Keva, that stops me all the time because it's your, it's, 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 make your Torah. It's your Torah. Right. But it which, means, which I find fascinating, that concept. Right, but it means make your Torah Keva. Keva means fixed. Yeah, do your fix, do it regularly. Your study of Torah should become a fixed part of your routine. 
Right. But that but but the implica the implication here is that it's your Torah. Yes, of course. In some way it belongs to you. It it's no. not outside of you. That's the that's Devarim, Loba Shamayan. Yeah. Right? The Torah's not in heaven. It's down here. Exactly. And it's it it's, it's meaning anyway, so I, I repeat this this notion of take your time in shul. Okay? You know, as I say, we the service has got to move along, but everybody, each individual, should spend time finding something. And and it's interesting. I would even say, if you find something that bothers you, <laughs> seriously, mm-hmm. if there's something that you read that really is totally out of touch with your reality, and you say, "What is this doing here?" Okay, fine, call a rabbi. <laughs> Read a book. The names are all our, our phone numbers. I mean, and I, our 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 email addresses are available in the in the directory. Go online, you know, and then send an email, a text, a phone message, whatever. I got to talk to a rabbi. I'm disturbed about something I read in the prayer book. Great, that's what rabbis are for. Lev Shalom was very different from the uh, Sim Shalom. Yes. Because it has all that other material in it. Exactly. And it can stimulate your thinking. And it can, that yeah. could be problematic too. But that's okay. All right. Moving on. So, so we want God to help us uh, here. Ahava Uliira. To love and to, and to fear or to be awed. I, but let's be honest. The Hebrew word Yud Resh Aleph means to be afraid of. Yeah. So to love the Torah, but also to understand that it's a responsibility with consequences. And that's fear, right? That means you've got to be concerned. But love comes first. Love it first, right? And if you love it, hopefully you'll deal with the fear. The fear factor will go away because you will understand that by loving it, you're going to be doing what you need to do that the Torah wants you to do. And better you should be motivated by love than by fear. Because then you can really put it in your heart. You can really put it in your heart. Okay. Now, then it goes on. We will never, we will never feel shame. Right? Because we have had faith. We have had reliance and 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 we we depended upon uh your holy and great and awesome name and therefore we will be able to sing and rejoice in your salvation now again here salvation in 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 our tradition means what when we say yeshua ultimately what is it referring to the messiah the messianic time the coming of the messiah in other words, we will uh, uh, rejoice in that in that moment when 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 we are redeemed. It pops up all over the place, even though out of context. Okay, it pops up all over the place, and so the fact that because right we have not talked about that up until now, have we? This is not a prayer that prays for the coming of the Messiah. It, it talks about God helping us to feel, develop love for the Torah. That's what this is about. Okay? But now, look at the next line. 
Bring us to peace from the four corners of the earth, and bring us upright into our land, because you are a God who does redeeming acts. Okay? This seems like a, it seems like a turn. What does that have to do with this prayer? I was just going to say, all of a sudden, it moves right into peoplehood. Right. You know, well, it's not just that. It's 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 messianic redemption right. in our land, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not what this is about. Does it? One second, I see your hand, Tybel. Does it remind you about something we read about last week that does the same thing? What what piece of of the prayer for light that we read about last week? What's oh. in it? Does the same thing? Well, the Yotzer Hamarot is light in the future. Didn't you say light was the ultimate light of redemption? No, that's what it says. Or Chadash Atzion. I'm sorry. Before it, it says cause a new light to pop. Right, over Zion. Right? Now, what did I tell you about that line in the prayer? Does anybody remember? And you all went, what? Yeah, some some Siddurs took it out. Yes. Which ones? The Orthodox. Reform and Recon. Not Orthodox. No, no, not to do with Orthodoxy. They have it. Wasn't it Sajigaon? Wasn't Saudagon? Yes, Sajigaon, the guy who said, don't don't do it. And the Middle Eastern, the Middle Eastern uh, communities bought that. The Sephardim bought it. The Iranians bought that. Okay, and to this day, you look at their prayer books or Chadash al Zion Ta'ir cause a new light to shine upon Zion isn't there. Sadia said it doesn't fit. Okay, now we see the same thing in this prayer. I just read it because this thing, what happened is some, it, it, it just, it, it was, I'm going to argue the fault of the prayer at the beginning, in the beginning. It mentioned God being a savior, a saving God, right? And I mentioned intentionally two minutes ago that that pops up all over the place. But what happened here is somebody, I think, said, oh, right, redemption. We got to say something about that. And so they added in this line about bringing us from exile into the land. Okay. Because then, because if you, if you continue from, uh, Go take a step back. Well, okay, we will rejoice in your salvation. And then it says, if you skip that line and you have chosen us from all other nations and brought us close to your great name in truth to, to praise you and to proclaim your oneness out of love. Okay. In other words, you can take out that line, bring us from the four corners of the earth. And the continuity of the prayer is not disturbed at all. So I'm making a case for the fact that it was an addition, again, reflecting this kind of, ex- not only say extreme, but the, the degree to which communities really wanted the Mashiach to come. Okay. And the interesting thing is in the rabbinic or in the Talmudic sources, the earliest tiers of the Talmudic sources. We find a, pr- a principle, ein dochakine takates, 
we don't push the end. In other words, we don't push toward the end. We don't push, keep pushing and pushing. Come, save us, God, save us, God, save us, God, save us, God. We don't push Mashiach. We wait. We don't push Mashiach. One of the reasons is because in 1135, 1130, common era, there arose a false messiah. It wasn't Jesus. His name was Bar Kokhba. And he brought his whole effort, brought huge destruction to the Jewish community in Eretz Yisrael. So particularly the Eretz Yisrael communities were very much distraught over that. They said, enough of that. And the term, that principle developed. Later generations seem to have ignored it because if you, if you, there's a book called the Messiah, the Messiah text, something like that. Starting from the middle, late middle, early middle ages down to the 21st century, there have always been groups who've said the Mashiach is coming right around the corner, right around the corner. I remember in New York, you could get beepers. They well, sell, the Orthodox were selling beepers that would go off when the Mashiach arrived. Yes. Well, there was, it was Chabad. Chabad. Okay. Uh, you go down, I remember Chabad put, when we were in New York uh, earlier in the year, or no, in last fall. So down in these various streets, there were signs on the, on the, on the, uh, the, the, the uh, you know, the, the, the light standards saying, he's here, he's coming soon, the Mashiach. And of course, whose picture was on it? Yes. The Rebbe. The Rebbe. Ta-da! Okay, there it was. And this was 2022. Okay, so it's it's still here. Tybal. So when you were reading some of this, I think that I have left Shalem. I don't know if there's a second edition. Are you doing your own translation? Yeah. Because... It, some of the some of the words and phrases, the meaning was the same, but they aren't the words that I'm seeing in the yes, edition of Lex Alemania. I'm, I'm translating the words directly from the Hebrew. Okay. He always does his own translation. Yeah, yeah, but but it's basically the, the, it's quite. I keep it literal, uh, as I have said a number of times. The these the Leib Shalem Sidurim and Machzorim are much more reflective of the liberal of the literal meaning than the Sim Shalom was. The Sim Shalom uh tried to sort of present the specifics in a more contemporary language, which is a nice thing to do, but if you really want to understand what the prayer originally was trying to say and then interpret it, you know, and then then struggle with it a little bit, I prefer the struggle. Okay, now again, with the commentary here, you can learn different insights. And there are places where the Leif Shalem does that a little bit, or they'll re- reorganize the, the, the statement into a more, for us, maybe a more coherent structure. But the point is, it, it tends to be much more literal. The, the Silverman was even more interpretive, much, much more interpretive. Uh, art scroll tends to be liberal, uh, very literal. Okay. It tends to be literal. And I like that. I don't like all their commentaries because it gets to be a little bit too, uh, you know, out there sometimes. What, but, what about the Koran one? Yeah. Uh, the Koran, 
I haven't looked at their translation, so I can't tell you. I mean, the Quran is good because their Hebrew is very accurate. Okay. But I mean, if that's more contemporary, I, 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 I don't know. I haven't looked at their translation. All right. Anyway, I have. Yeah, I, I you you said to challenge things that we really have a problem with before. So I'll yeah. take you up on that. And if you want to deal with it now, fine. Otherwise, we can deal with it separately. I I can't make any sense out of the Messiah uh, coming and the that whole thing. And I know that Maimonides said, if you don't believe that, you're not Jewish. What? That's, some, that's something that I have a lot of, it just doesn't have meaning for me what may happen, who knows when. Yeah. In history. That's that, yeah. Bert, great subject. For another time. Let's have a class on messianism. Okay. Why don't you talk to somebody about that? <laughs> but you tell, you said if you got a problem, at least say it. Maybe I'll do it. I'm not a, I'm not a messianist by a long shot. And I do, to, to a great degree, resonate with what you're saying. I mean, I really don't want to go back to a monarchy is what it boils down to. And I don't want a temple because I don't, I don't think animal sacrifices speak to me. Okay. Animal sacrifices speak to a culture where people live with and off of animals and they bring grain offerings because they're farmers. Okay. They're herdsmen. They're farmers. It's their livelihood. It's their life. Okay. I don't live that life. Okay, and I don't even know today if farmers, with with all the modernization of farming that has taken place, will agree to do that as well. And what am I going to schlep a schlep a, a goat all the way? I'll you know get get on the United. No, I'll get on I'll get on El Al with a goat, right? Uh, all right? No, no thanks. All right. Anyway, moving on. <clears throat> all right. So then again, to, now we're going to pick up. The, the the final sentence before the blessing, which is very important, right? So it says, okay. You've chosen us from all nations and brought us close to your, your great name in truth. Truth. Okay, that, now that is a hint at a concept that is going to come after the Shema. But it's an important one. Because that principle of truth, and it doesn't mean necessary philosophical truth, as I've said, it can mean the the valid um, fixed principle, a fixed valid principle that that God, that God stands for, and God God's self is truth, because it's built on the principle. What this is saying is, it's faithfulness, faithfulness reliance not something that's here today gone tomorrow not an idea that a value a principle is laid down here and it's contradicted the next day that's the whole that's that i think that's what the amet here is it's that kind of truth okay all right now there's a word here selah in the hebrew okay it, you you have let me look at the translation um you have chosen us from all other people and tongues, always drawing us near to you, to your name, that we may truly acknowledge you and lovingly proclaim your oneness. Okay, so there's no way to translate Sela. Sela, you you find that from in, in different places, uh, in Psalms in particular, in particular, 
In the prayer book, you'll find Selah. S, that's Samach Lamad Hay. Samach Lamad Ayin means a stone, a rock. So don't get them mixed up. This is some kind of declaratory term that we find in the Psalms. I checked it in a biblical, in the latest biblical lexicon, and there's a big question mark. Nobody knows for sure. Really? Wow. They is it like an exclamation point? Because it's in the Psalms a lot, it is suggested that it may be kind of a a musical or vocal um a, 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 a what's the term? Not a term. You know, like you you find to a, a sing- notation, like musical notation, Rabbi. Yes, yes. So right, you find, for example, you take a symphony, right? So the first movement may be allegro. Right, the second movement will be quieter. You know, have all those technical terms for how it is supposed to be played. Yeah, and this is sort of the same thing, but it seems to mean greater emphasis, louder or higher, a higher register, something like that. Just it's an it's an emphatic, it's a musical emphatic. Okay, so like a musical uh, exclamation point. Wait, Wait, listen what it says. And and there's a selah between Gadol and Emet. And you have brought us close to your great name. That's what it says. That's what it means. But it, the word now has been woven into the text, so it's no longer an annotation or something telling you what to do. It's a word. I think it's in, in the... Um... The monthly thing when the when we're reading for the new month. Yes, and it says Sela S E L A H. Yeah. Yes, because it's hard you can't translate it. It's lost in the mists of history. Ooh. Thought I've seen indeed sometimes. Yes. All right. No or indeed it could be something like, but I think it means play it say it you know, writ loud. Right? Writ loudly or whatever. Okay. All right, and so the, now, lahodot lacha, to praise you, uliyachedcha. Right, that word, liyachedcha, it, it means there's so many nuances. It's related to the, it, the verb is yudchet talad. Okay, liyached means to bring together, to create a unity. Okay, uh, but miyuchad means special, unique. Okay, liyached means to now, so what does this mean with respect to God? Liachedcha. What would we be doing with respect to God's unity? Proclaiming it. Proclaiming it. Yeah, I, I have the Koran Sidur here, and their translation is, proclaim your oneness in love. Yes. Yes. Your oneness, your unity, the fact that you are one and only we got to mention onlyness as well. In other words, that God is the sum total of an all-inclusive power of deity in the universe. Okay? And, but this is pointing to an echad that's coming up on the next page. So keep that in mind. Okay, this is the same yached that we saw earlier, you know, to, to, 
bring our, our, our hearts, unify our hearts, whether it means as a collective that we should all have a faith in this, in the same principles, or whether it means each one of our hearts shall be un, totally one in its commitment to God. You take it either way, I think. Uh, the translation also allows for that, we said. Okay, so that's what it is. But we proclaim in the love, be'ahava. So the word, be, the, the, par, the prayer be prior to the blessing, it begins with the word ahava and it ends with the word ahava. So Torah is love. Torah is compassion. This is what, what it is telling us. And a Torah is a way for us to come to an appreciation of what God means as it is played out in this world when we do Torah. Not just study it, but do it. Study it, teach it, do it, feel it. Total, total experience. That's what this prayer is saying. Final blessing. Baruch atah Adonai. Prayer to you Adonai. Habocher b'amo Yisrael be'ahava. Who chooses your people Israel with love. Okay? So that's the end. Again, that ends with love. So it's a double love ending, right? The last phrase, in the last sentence in the, in the body of the prayer and the last word in the final blessing of the prayer. Okay. So this is, so when you say, who wrote the book of love? I know who wrote the book of love. God wrote the book of love. That's what it says in the, in the Siddur. Ooh, that's a good one. The book of love. That was a rock and roll song. Who wrote the book of love? Chapter one, never mind. <laughs> okay. I, I think it's striking the last blessing is in the present tense, not in the past tense. It's not in the well, present tense. It's not, yeah, this is a, de- a declaration. It's not an, an, a, a, it's not something we're hoping for, right? But I mean, it, it, it's saying that this continues. Yes. It's not in the present tense. There is no real present tense. In no, well, no. You know, in Hebrew, it sure is. Yeah, the translation you did, yeah, God who chooses us in love, not who chose. Will choose. No, it doesn't even mean that. It says, yes, who chooses. Yes, who choose. No, it doesn't say will. It's not. No, I know. It says chooses. No. It's present tense. Right, that's, that's my point. Automatically, it's present tense. It's yes. got a vav in it. It's a present tense word. Like Omer. Who Omer? He says now, not past tense, not future. Who mm-hmm. Bocher. But it's part of a continuing process was really my point. Yes, it is. As, a, as opposed to just you loved our ancestors in the past. That's right. It's like and the love gets renewed love every day. But it's not, it's not aspirational in the sense that, uh, that we, uh, you know, uh, you will love us in the future. The love is now and it'll be, but we already said it's eternal. So it's going to be forever. All right. Now the big question that I asked was where is there's a covenant that's now going to emerge? All right. Now turn the page, turn the page, and what's the next thing we're going to say? What's the next prayer? The Shema, right? Okay. So 
And then what's the what's the first word of the next paragraph? Forget about Baruch Shane. That's stuck in. Ahava. In right. The Ahava. Right. And that's in the Torah. It's Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta Eit Adonai Elohecha. Okay. Now, who is saying, but the way we run this as a, as liturgy, as liturgy. So we say, who chooses the Israel, the people Israel out of love. And then how do we respond to that? What do we say out loud? Right, slowly, meditatively, what do we say? Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Right? All right? Mm -hmm. God is our God. God is unique, one, a unity, alone. Right? There are interpretations of this that will choose any of those words because it's not fully clear what Echad means. There's God is one. Sounds like it's saying there is one God. And the truth is this is Deuteronomy and there's no question that that's a major point that the book of Deuteronomy wants to get across. And you can't take it out of that context. Right? There, Deuteronomy, there is only one God. Ain hu Adonai Eloheinu Ain od. There is no other. That's Deuteronomy. And this is Deuteronomy. So I think it means the one and only, that God is one and only. Okay? God is one and only. Now, by saying that, what are we doing? We say in the previous prayer that it was our job to do. To love our God. That's one thing. And to proclaim it. Proclaim, proclaim the oneness. The oneness of God. So when we say Shema, what are we doing? Saying our oneness. We're doing what the prayer of blessing said. We're fulfilling our job. Mm-hmm. We're doing what we're supposed to do. Okay? We say, God, help us proclaim the oneness of your name. And lo and behold, we say it. Bingo. We don't beat around the bush. We don't know introductions. Well, if you're by yourself, you say, that's for another reason. Forget it. You just say it. Okay? That's it. But then what does it say right away? If these are words that we're saying to ourselves, but they're the words of God. But they're making us, we're saying it now. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your everything. Okay? So that's what we have to do. All right? Now, hopefully, we're going to do it. Same way we said the Shema. We did it. And we're making a commitment that that's what we're going to do. Okay? That's words for us. Where's the covenant? I said there's a covenant here. Where's the covenant? Where's the covenant? Where's the covenant? Doesn't say. Rabbi, which, in which prayer? Page 76 or then the Shema? Avaraba. 77. No, 76. It's coming. The A paragraph later. Shema and Be'ahavta. Where is, okay, back rack. 
Well, I was wondering if you would say that um, by saying, you know, Echad in the Shema, are we then accepting God choosing us, choosing God, or also choosing God? And then does that make the covenant? Yes, we are doing that. That's right. And but we said in the prayer, in the prayer though, it says our job is to do that. In the last line before the. Um, well, wait, wait, wait! I, I have another hand up. Tybal. Uh, um. Well, you know, because I emailed you just for the rest of the class, I was after my gold star. Um, I do want you to say which of the five covenants that you're asking about. This is the covenant of Torah. But is that the one at Sinai? It doesn't matter. It's not a specific. This is the covenant between. You could say. It's, it's a, it incorporates the covenant of Abraham. It incorporates the covenant at Sinai. Okay. It incorporates the covenant that was renewed when they came back from Babylonian exile. Okay. This is the overall, overriding covenant of what we as God, how God and we are part of a covenant. Okay. That's it. All right. Carl. The covenant. I think is coming in the next paragraph here. It's, it's foreshadowing the Ahavta. And then in the next paragraph, if we do that with all our hearts and all our soul, we get the rain and prosperity and the crops yes. will grow. Yes. It's an, ex- it's part of the overall classical covenant statement because if you read the covenantal expressions in Leviticus and Number and Deuteronomy, you have after the law codes the the rewards and the punishments. It's part of the covenant. So yes, that's part of it. Okay? Yes. But the point is what I'm trying to suggest is they aha okay, go ahead, Barbara. One more comment and I, I think want it's to... I think it's the last sentence before the brook on the on page seventy six. Uh, where you, um, you, uh, we, we truly, uh, acknowledge you and lovingly proclaim your oneness. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. That's, that's the first expression of it. Yes. But so is Ve'ahavta. What it is saying for us to complete the covenant is this. God loves us. God gave us Torah. We, and wants us to declare God's oneness. What's our job? Declare God's oneness. Accept the Torah. And live it. So this this is the covenant. God loves us. God has loved us. What's our job? Love God back. These are like wedding vows. Yes. Well, there are midrashim that say, <laughs> yeah, Mat Matan Torah was a wedding, and the Torah was the ketubah. Okay, it was the wedding the wedding document, marriage document. Yeah. Okay. So yes. So this is a covenantal statement in prayer. This is not the biblical covenant. It's based on that concept. The, the, the redactor of the, the rabbis, the rabbinical sources, whomever they were, who put this all together, were creating a covenant statement that encompasses Torah as the foundation, the constitution. The Torah is constitution. The Torah mandates from God. God accepts the responsibility of, as Carl mentioned, God accepts the responsibility 
as doing for us if we follow God's Torah. And we assume the responsibility of following God's Torah and receiving the benefits. But we know that God is also warning us, if you don't follow the Torah, then there's going to be a certain kind of consequence. Tourists. <laughs> huh? Right? Soros. Yes. And we say, yeah, we got it. Okay, we got it. We understand. By saying it, that's what we're implying. And then, of course, then you have the, the interesting thing is right away we're, we're showing ourselves using God's words with the third paragraph of the Shema that tells us we already have the means of, of we actually know it's built into all three of them. God loves us so much that he's given us devices to help us remember. Right? We have a tefillin on our head and on our arm. Right? We have tzitzit. Yes? We have a mezuzah on the doorpost. And Rambam is completely right. The mezuzah, I see a hand just a second. Okay. Rambam, Rambam is completely correct. The mezuzah on the doorpost is not to keep the demons out of the house. The mezuzah on the doorpost is a reminder of the mitzvot of the Torah. That's why it's a little piece of Torah. It's on cloth. It's written with Torah script. It's a reminder of Torah. Okay, Margaret, welcome. Thanks so much. I, for the welcome, thanks for having me. Um, isn't it interesting? I mean, to me, that third paragraph, and I thought about it up in the first paragraph, that living the Torah, or as you say, being reminded of the Torah, involves so much public display. And not just, not necessarily, I mean, public display, certainly, right, on your on your home and on your gates, which is kind of a big deal to put yourself out there, right? Yeah. And then also, and then also teach them, not just to your children, not just when you're at home, but when you walk on your way, not teach, not teach them. Speaking of them, it says, I'm, I'm, yeah, in this translation, when you walk on your way. So it's not just embodying, it's also a little bit of maybe not, well, the proclaiming part, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. And, and one can, that's a good point. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's, it's a public, it's, it's, in other words, Torah is not, not supposed to be kept a secret. And we're not out to convert the world, but we're out to show ourselves and our loved ones and those who, with whom we live that this is who we are. And, and by the point is, remember it said in the, in Ahava Rabbah, we're talking about doing Torah, to do it as well. Okay, so this means that when you put a mezuzah on the doorpost of your business, it not means that your business is going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Because God's going to bless you because of that. Because if you put the mezuzah up and you jip your clients, forget it. God's going to tear the mezuzah off the door, so to speak. Okay, he'll say it's trafe, it's a puzzle, doesn't work anymore. Okay. No, but the point is, what it's saying is that we live our lives by the principles that are set forth in the mezuzah. And what's in the mezuzah? The paragraphs of the Shema. Okay. The first two. So, I mean, it's, it's, 
And that's the covenant essence. Right. Yes. So the third one, the three of them put together is a statement of the all encompassing commitment that a Jew makes to respond to God's outreach, God's covenantal outreach. And we are supposed to respond back. At Sinai, it was this notion of Nasev and Nishma. We will do it, right? We will do and we will hear, right? And in fact, that statement in different words is said twice at Sinai, before the Torah is given and after the Torah is given. It's said twice, okay? However, and the reason why the second paragraph to which Carl referred includes the bad stuff, what did Israel, what did the children of Israel do 40 days after the Torah was given? And they said, Naseh and Nishma. They won. Go do it. What did they do 40 days later? Golden they calf. Won. They golden built calf. a golden calf. Oh. Right. So it's, we got to be reminded. Okay, Bert. I think it's also interesting that the first paragraph or the via hafta is in the singular and the next paragraph is in the plural. Yes. That in terms of dealing and serving God, we do it as individuals. Yes. But we also do it and have responsibility as part of the Jewish people. Yes. And, and I, I, I think exactly good. But I think the intention in the Torah is when it's Deuteronomy. Yeah. The first two paragraphs of the Shema are Deuteronomy. The third one is not. Okay. But Deuteronomy, what the Deut- what that passage, it is directed as individuals. Because ultimately, it goes back to what we were saying in the, when we were looking at Ahav Arabah. It's up to each of us to accept the responsibility on our own by ourselves. As you know, there's communal responsibility, but it's all based on individual responsibility. Our, our tradition teaches us we have choice. Okay. And, and the, and, and it's, you know, Bahartem Bahayim, choose life. But the point is, it's not simply the collective, it's individually. And so by putting in the fact that it's in the Torah in both ways. And by the way, we're not going to study this, but you should know that right? The second paragraph begins with the word Shama. If you listen, if you hearken, that's the same word as Shema. And what does it say? La'ahava et Adonai Elohecha in the second paragraph. To love Lord, with all your heart, with all your soul. Bahayim Shamoa is almost identical in structure and in the, the second half in words with Vayahavta. The only difference is the addition of consequences. The second paragraph adds consequence, puts the teeth into it. It says you got to choose. You better choose right. Otherwise, if you choose wrong, goodbye. Again, I go back to the movie I looked at again last night. The the search for the 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 chalice, you know, Indiana Jones. Okay. And he chose, he, he, he chose, he did not, he, he didn't choose wisely. And then Indiana Jones, the, the guy says, you have chosen wisely because he picked the right chalice. It wasn't the silver one. It was the one that was made out of ceramic. 
He says, what is that? What he, he says, what does a poor lumber man, woods, woodwork, woodworker, what do they have? They don't have silver. It's made out of putty, out of, out of, uh, clay. Yeah. The, the other, the other issue that you raise in terms of the third paragraph is one, uh, about how public we are in our Judaism. Yes. Uh, it's one thing to be within a Jewish community. It's another thing we face being in the U.S. in a, in a wider community. I lived in Russia for five years. I had an apartment there in Moscow. Yeah. Oh, and wow. dealt with the question of, do I put up a mezuzah? Yep. Look. And the answer, that. my answer was no. I mean, it depends. My answer was no. Yeah. It depends upon your own personal constitution in that regard. But more important than wearing a kippah in public is how do you behave in public, right? If people see you, right, and see you doing righteous things, whether they know you're a Jew or not, unless this is a righteous person, okay? And that's that's at a certain level. Now, it's unfortunate a Jew should be able to wear a kippah in public and do righteous things and have them say, well, this is a Jew. Look what they're doing. It's righteous things. This is a good thing. The question is, at what risk? Unfortunately, today, more than 20 years ago, it's not that easy, even here in the good old U.S. of A. I mean, we lived, you know, for five consecutive years. We spent five, six months in Berlin, Germany. And there it was known you you, you don't want to wear a kippah. And it wasn't had wasn't because of the Nazis. In this instance, it was because, unfortunately, because there are a lot of young Islamic people who live in Berlin, not everywhere, but in certain areas. You know, on the other hand, I can tell you, I had rabbinical students who lived in part of Berlin where there's a substantial Arab community. They walked around with their kippah, um, and they walked into the shops. They went, had their favorite, their favorite falafel places. They were Muslims. They didn't eat meat, you know, but they bought fish, they bought fruits and vegetables. Yeah, and me too. I mean, I, I had, we had a, around the corner from us in Berlin, we had a, a Turkish and a Muslim, a Muslim, two, two guys in two different fruit stands. Okay. Who were from Turkey. Okay. They came over in the 1980s with the first group of Turks when they came over. They were not like the extremists who live in Turkey now. And these guys knew I was Jewish and we would talk about it. In fact, one of the guys, his sister married a Jew and he was proud of it. An Israeli, no less. Okay. So, I mean, it, it, was, it depends on the people. But yeah, I mean, if, if you feel it, you feel threatened because things happen, you know, you have to give second thought. But I, I will say this is dictating more. It's not just dictating the, the, um, let's put it this way. People in, 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 when these prayers were written, the only thing that you would see in all these different things would be, uh, if, if you had a kaftan, right? And that, like an outer garment, that was the original talit. And that's something you, when you went into your shop, you took it off and hung it up. It was like an overcoat. It was a four cornered thing. So that had the fringes on it. At some point in the Middle Ages, when people began to wear shirts and undershirts, and I don't know when that was, so they decided you can put it on your underneath your garment. 
because your your shirt doesn't have four corners to it, does it? Right? It's a continuous thing. So that's when the Talit Katan popped up. Okay, and today you've got people who wear it out and people who wear them in, but they wear them. And that's really for them, their own, it's a reminder to them personally. It's really a reminder to them personally. And we don't wear it to fill in anymore other than to pray, because the fact is, as, as different kinds of professions developed, they got in the way. It was a pragmatic thing. So the tradition developed when we pray in the morning, we put on to fill in. And that'll last, uh, the, the, and the merit of that is as if we warm all day. We know in the Talmud, there are references to people who were, you know, they were, they were leather workers in their shops and so forth. And they, you know, they had them on and they, you know, they would wrap them. We don't know. They probably didn't wrap them like around the fingers like we do. That's medieval. They would have them wrapped around their hands, you know, the, and this, and the thing was over here out of, the, the box was over here, so basically it's out of the way. And there were little ones, not big ones, little ones. And they wore them. But as I say, over time, it became, it, it for some reason, got in the way. So they modified. All right. Now, so the covenant then. So we have a rabbinically designed, liturgical, prayer-based covenant that that right here that we express. Okay? And by saying it, and affirming it, we are doing in effect the same thing that the people affirmed at Sinai. That would be the rabbi's ideal here. Okay. By, by stating it, it's as if we are accepting it. Okay. And again, it's a quid pro quo. That's a covenant, right? To be very trite, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. Or you say, you know, that's very mundane, but that's the point. Okay. All right. Now we finish with the Shema. So now we're going to look at the prayer that comes after the third paragraph of the Shema. And that you will find on page 78 in the Lev Shalem, Machzor. And again, I remind you, these are not, you know, these are not high holiday prayers. These are everyday prayers. Every single day, what we're reading now is said. Every single day. Okay? Everybody got it? You're on the right place? Emet Yatsiv? Okay. So, we end it. The tradition is that we say, and the way they have it set out here is correct. It's We say, Adonai Eloheichem Emet. Okay? Now, the original prayer, the the line in the Torah ends, Ani Adonai Eloheichem, period, end of paragraph. That's how it is in the Torah. And suddenly the Amet appears there. And the rule is, as stated in the Mishnah, that you do not pause, okay, you do not pause. It's in Brachot 2, 2. Okay. Chapter 2, Mishnah 2. We do not, we do not pause after, uh, Emet. I'm sorry. We do not pause at the end of the Vayomer paragraph and Emet Biatsiv. 
Okay? We do not do that. All right? No pause. All right. So what we do is we ended Adonai Lehechem Emet to ourselves. The leader of the prayer says that out loud, Adonai Lehechem Emet. And then we immediately all continue the Yatsivanachon Vekayam. Okay. Question is, how did the Met get in there? All right. It's, it was originally, it was originally part of the prayer, not part of the, it wasn't the connector. It was part of the prayer. We know this because again, in the Mishnah chapter, in, in Tamid, Mishnah Tamid chapter five, Mishnah two, it says that when the priests would go into their special chamber in the temple daily to say their prayers, when they, after they said the three paragraphs of the Shema, they said a prayer called Emet Viyatsiv. Okay. Now, assuming that that Mishnah is accurate, and frankly, the way it's laid out, just the middle of, just suddenly pops up. I'm going to assume that it's historic. There are people who question that, but it just sounds too, it makes too much sense because it talks about an outline of prayer. It doesn't give us the language of the paragraphs. That is a forerunner of the way we do it. But then the priests said it and they would take time off from the sacrificing. There was a break and they would go and say these prayers and they were led very brief. They, it, the whole thing, if you figure it out, it's probably going to take 10, 15 minutes. And then they would go back to their, to their sacrificing or what else they have to do. Okay. But that's in that Mishnah. So Emet Viatsiv, it uses those two words. <clears throat> this could be the oldest liturgical prayer, not biblical, that we know about. It's, it's explicitly, you know, I, we don't, we do not know the rest of the text. And that's a challenge. It's not until in later Middle Ages that we have any sense about what these things contained in the totality. You don't have texts of complete ongoing texts of prayer until maybe the, the ninth century. And even those are sometimes incomplete. Okay. That's true. I mean, it's, it's really, I wish we could see the ancient prayers. Okay. All right. Anyhow, we can see some, but we know the times when they were operative. All right, anyhow. So this is an ancient prayer, but we're supposed to connect it according to the mission. Okay. And what's the paradigm for that though? Where did they get the idea that we have to connect it? It's because in Jeremiah, in chapter 10, verse 10, it says, Adonai Elohim emet. Adonai Elohim Emet. That's what Jeremiah said. Ten, ten. Okay? So it is Jeremiah who created this notion of a connector between the word Emet and the name of God. And what I think he's trying to say is what this prayer ends up saying, because Emet will now appear six times in this prayer. And in Ezra Hotenu as well. In the next, what comes after this is Emet becomes a major focal theme of many in, in the text after. So you want to say this is something that is, if you will, a, a very significant divine 
attribute. We've seen how rachamim, compassion, is a significant divine attribute, right? I mean, we, those of us who you've been been in the class from the beginning, pops up all over the place. God created the world with rachamim, right? And it runs on rachamim, okay? And and God gave Torah in out of rachamim, out of compassion, right? And that is one of the essence that came to be. Remember the rabbis in their understanding, it was the prime, primary divine attribute, surpassing even deem judgment. God is judge. Yes, he judges. But more than he is judgmental, God is compassionate. That's the rabbinic. So that's a prime, prime essence, uh, essential element. I think what this is saying now, there's a different one popping up now. Emet, this, this faithfulness, this integrity, this truthfulness, it's, it's, it's a rock. It's the, those 16 words that are going to follow right now. We're going to hit it immediately. Okay. Go look inside. I'll read them. Okay. Sixteen words that define and describe a teaching, right? What is it? What is it? I would suggest it's the following. It says, after Olam Va'ed, forever, these are principles that are eternal. And if you look in the prayer book, there's a period there. And what is it? Emet, Elohei Olam Malkeinu, Tzuragav Magin Yishenu, Lador Bador it is truthful. This is a given. It is a, an established principle that <clears throat> the God of the universe is our king, the rock of Jacob, who is our, the, 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 the shield of our redemption. There you got redemption again. Okay. There you got redemption. It's a hint of what's coming, but it's not yet developed here. It's not, you notice it's not developed here. <clears throat> okay. What does that mean? The door vador hukayam. Now look, here's what happened. You have all those lines, emet biatsiv, etc. So you have emet. That's the first word. Then the next line, it says, Lador vador hukayam. God is, is there. He's in existence from generation to generation. He's there. He's a fixed thing. The third word in that line, the beginning of the paragraph. <clears throat> the fourth word, the next few lines are going to take words from that first list of 16 different uh, uh, qualities. Okay, they're going to pick words and build them into the narrative. <clears throat> so you got Kayam, Ushmo Kayam, and his name is everlasting. So twice Kayam, Vikiso Nachon. And his throne is fixed. And we find over here, it says, Yeah, the third word in that listing is Nachon, fixed. And his kingship and his faithfulness exist forever. There's that Kayam again. Okay, so the point is, this is what is true. 
this is the, all of the, 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 the true statement that we are affirming with 16 different words is the reality that God is and always will be. And God is the faithful deity on whom we can rely. Okay. <clears throat> For eternity, all, every generation. And this is a principle that is inviolate. It's establishing, if you will, a dogma. It's a dogma. It's a given, an article of faith that God is eternal. God will always be there. And God is eternally faithful. Okay. Question. That's in all kinds and various words. All right. Okay. Isn't this similar to some other places where lists of different attributes are used to try and describe the inscribable? Another one, yes. Yeah, it's another, it relates to before. The yeah. other thing I've read is, aside from a met, there are 15 words that begin with vav. And there were evidently 15 steps in the temple going up to the altar. Well, they all begin in vav. That's right. 15 of the 16 begin with the vav. Right. Yeah. Nectar also, yeah. But are you saying, Bert, that wait, wait, 15 words? Wait, wait, Barbara, hold on. But I want to ask him on what he just said, please. All right, go He's ahead. saying there's 15 words that begin with vav. Are you talking, there's lots of vavs, lots more than 15 in the Torah and in, in the Sisadur? No, I bet. I bet are the, you talking individual words, not the connect, not with a connector on them? No, I'm saying right here. What Rabbi Rembaum was saying, it says, Emma, okay, there, but of, of that 16, 15 of those words. Okay. With Vav, and, and I saw a commentary that relates that to the 15 steps of the temple leading up to the altar. It's not really 15 words because the Vav is like saying, and everyone and this. And right, that. right. Well, there's fifth, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's like two words in one word. Yeah. And uh, the Vav, the Vav, the connective, is that, that's not really translatable into English either. And it is. A-M-D. And but Huh? No, he has it here. God's teaching is living and enduring, truthful and beloved. They hear what they do, what the translation here is, it takes it out of the contigu- contigu- contiguous listing and breaks them all up into more interpretive statements. That's that's it. But it it has the ands there. But yeah. they're just positioned differently. Okay, the, the publish taking, publishers taking, or the translators taking a little bit of liberty here. Yeah. Okay, to make it more feel, more meaningful. But the fact is, when you list it like that, it, it begins to become, and, and this is something, I see your hand, Carl. It's something, Bert, that you said earlier that may be true, that there's a, you develop, listen to when I say it, okay? Listen, just listen. I mean, you can develop a kind of a rhythmic statement to it, okay? And that becomes like a mantra. Yeah, when you were talking about poetry in, uh, earlier, it's yeah. got that sense to it. Yeah, it is a poetic kind of a statement. Yeah, Carl. <clears throat> Okay, I wanted to look for a moment at the end of this paragraph. Chok v'lo yavor. Right. Translated, never-changing principle. Or, uh, 
yeah, okay, we got the words forever, but we've also been interpreting all this time. And, you know, we got the law committee whose job is to take the unchanging words and figure out what their mm, changing meaning is in our day. So somehow we got to bring on that what? changing without... No, it's possible, but on the other hand, it's talking, what it's talking about here are not the words, it's talking really about the reality of what God is. And that's a chok bal yavor. In other words, God, God establishes this principle. It's, it, it is a principle that can not be, um, it's not, it, it's, it's not ever going to change. Okay. Okay. I, I guess I'm not quite says, referring back to changing. what is it that's unchanging, constant in time. The never changing principle is that God is eternal and God's faithfulness is eternal. Okay. All that's right. What you're saying it's fixed. That's so all. Not words. necessarily the detailed points of the. Law. No, no, the words are just used. That sixteen, lit, the list of the sixteen descriptives or, or or elements, is intended to hit home the notion. All of these have in common. It's it's they are truthful, they are dear and 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 precious, but they're fixed. All right, emet. Yatsiv is standing, Nachon is fixed, Kayamit exists, Yashar is straight, Neman faithful, beloved, dear, dear, precious, beautiful, awesome, powerful, fixed, uh, accepted, good, and beautiful. Okay, so it's a mix of the permanence and the beauty and the power of what God represents. That's the... uh Never changing principle at the end of the paragraph. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Tybal. So how many of those? I was just trying to do it and I couldn't do it in my head quickly enough. But out of those, how many of them overlap with the 13 attributes from the key saw portion that we sing over and over and over in uh, High Holy Day liturgy? So not Shabbos liturgy, but High Holy Day. Yeah, all right, hold on. <clears throat> Those are 13 after, you mean like the uh, Yigdal? No, oh. the ones from Kisisa that I was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, In other words, Adonai, Adonai, Racham, Bachanu. Yes. Those are assumed to be statements, <clears throat> different expressions of God's compassion. That's a separate topic. That goes back to the reference to Rachamim that we've mentioned before. We talked about it a few minutes ago, right? That, that, that quality of God. All right. So that the 13 attributes is just an expression of how important the rabbis saw, how they interpreted that as being an expression of the true highest essence of God, which is compassion. All right. This is, this is, uh, in addition to that. All right. These statements right now are not, are not talking about compassion per se. Okay, because this is not talking about how God relates to things. This is how God is, how God is, and how wonderful it is that God is. Okay, it's permanence, fixed, and these all these the these nice this the beauty and the awe 
and the and the and the and the the, the pleasantness of all of this and the all of the positive implications and powerful implications that come from this are part of the fixed nature of existence because that's how God is and it's unchanging this is what the, I see your hand this is in other words this is an unchanging God okay God might you know uh, reflect differently than different points in time. He'll show his anger more over here or show his compassion over there or be loving over here, be firm and strong over there, whatever. Okay, but that's all built into this overriding notion that God is amazing. You can rely on it. He's unchanging in his amazingness. And we, as the people, his people, are greatly honored by implication, but that's going to happen in a minute. We're going to see the connection with us because it continues. We're the ones who accept him as king. We are his people, right? So we, it's my God, this amazing God has chosen us. And that choice means that we can rely. We really have a special way of relying with relying on this, this deity. That's what this is saying. Okay, Bert. I'm looking at the Sim Shalom. Yes. And they, they have a completely different translation. That's what I told you. Right. <laughs> they, it says here, it says, your teaching is true and enduring. Your words are established forever. So here it's about the words. Right. And the cherished thing. Yeah. The other thing that, again, I guess that's a translator's option. Yes. Yeah, because it says Hadavar Hazeh, this thing, th- these words. Okay. okay, well, I'm saying that. So here it's talking about God's words as necessarily. Yes, but this, the way it's expressed here is truly the God of the universe in each generation, name endured, throne is established, sovereignty, da da da. Our ancestors accept that is incumbent upon them, we accept upon us, our children, and the future seed of Israel who serve you, whether in ancient times or not. Well, it's, we accept this principle of the enduring nature of God. That's what this is saying. Yeah, it does. I mean, the ancient generations did, and so do we. Okay, that's what this, this is. This is a a transition from into history and then into the Amidah, because we're going to get to Egypt. This is is going to ultimately, yes, we're going to (laughs) get, exactly. Exactly. Right. And that's the proof of it. The, the final Ezrat Avotenu, which is the final paragraph before the Amidah, is proof. I'll give you a little forespice, okay? That talks about it, it, it talks about the Exodus from Egypt. Okay. And basically what it's saying is you proved it. This, and the proof, the proof of this is the nature of God is the Exodus. Whom did God promise that the Exodus would happen? To whom did he make the promise? Abraham and the Abraham. Abraham. And the Abrahamic. Right, all, right, to the people. And, and, right? Yes, but to the, it began with the patriarchs. He made the, he made the statement. Okay? He made that promise. And he did it. Okay? But then keep in mind how the paragraph with the reference to the Exodus ends. Um, Sur Yisrael, Kuma Be'ezrat Yisrael. Rock of e of Israel, arise in helping Israel. Ufidei chinu umecha, 
Yehuda Yisrael, and redeem according to the words of your prophets, or the prophetic word that you shared with the prophets that they expressed. Right? Redeem us. That's how that ends. Praised are you, God, Redeemer of Israel. So it ends with a plea, because who, what did the prophets say? Prophets said, you're going to be taken into, you know, after the Exodus, you're going to, if you're punished and you're going to go into exile, what will God do? What's the promise? What did the prophets say? What did Isaiah say? What did Jeremiah say? What did Ezekiel say? Bring you back someday. We're going to be brought back someday. And that's what we're asking for. So now you see how this leads into this, because what it is saying is God's relationship with us is built on a rock solid foundation, God. And then we're going to show God, show ourselves and remind, remind God, Hey, you did all these great things in Egypt. You can redeem. You said you were going to do it. You, you got another promise now, God. You got another promise. You promised to take us out of exile. Okay, we're still here, new. Get us out. Okay. And then what is the what how does the Amida come into play here? Begins with the matri well the patriarchs. What right, so about the first three blessings and the last three blessings? Because the 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 we're taught you just gotta look. Don't don't look now, it's too complicated. Just trust me. Trust me. Trust me. I speak in the name of God. Trust me. Okay. The the thirteen intermediate blessings of the weekday Amidah is what we're talking about here. And they are a blueprint for the messianic reestablishment of the people in their land, rebuilding of Jerusalem, and the arrival of a king from the line of David. So this all leads into a huge messianic hope. That's the weekday Amidah. And that's where this is all going. That's why you cannot stop between Gal Yisrael and the, and you gotta lead right in. Okay. And that's why you can't stop after all of this. You see, there, it's, it's all interconnected. It's one. And that's the covenant, right? The covenant, it's, it's a kind of, it's a reverse order of, in the Bible, in the, right? In the Bible, in the Torah, right? It's creation, redemption, and revelation. That's the order, right? Creation, redemption from Egypt, Mount Sinai. But then there's another exile, okay? But then there's another redemption. So the Bible already shows twice. It doesn't deal, doesn't talk about the redemption from Babylonia in the prayer book. Because that's the little one. The big one was Egypt. That's the most important one. Okay, so the whole point is, though, that ultimately that's part of the scheme. And I remember what, remember, what is the last statement in the entire Bible? Does anybody remember at the end of Chronicles? The last statement is Cyrus says that the people go and rebuild the temple. That's where it, that's where the Bible ends. It's a referring, reference to returning to the land. So that, in a sense, and all of that is, you know, that's that's the result of divine activity. Okay, Tybal. I, I just wanted to get that little plug in that the creation 
I, I think that the creation connection could be the Noahide covenant, which is for everybody, that creation is for everybody. Yes, I mean, that's part of it. Sure, that's the rabbinic interpretation. Correct. That just incorporates, because we're all created by the same God, right? And Noah was the ancestor of all of us, right? Just as Adam was. Noah was too. Because by definition, everybody left on earth, according to the Torah, came from Noah. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, absolutely. And you get yeah, right. So there's even a covenant to the other nations. Uh, that is correct. And ultimately, you know, when they, when, when the world is fixed, there will be no more war. We will all live at peace in our land. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.